Several times throughout Jesus' ministry, he refers to the sign of Jonah. He makes he frames his entire ministry in the uh, story of Jonah. So today's reading from Jonah helps us to understand what is going on during this season of Epiphany. Today is the third Sunday after the Epiphany, um, a time of showing, a time of showing and presenting of the Christ to the Messiah to the Gentile nations. Uh, for what purpose? Well, Jesus answers that question in his uh, repeated reference to the story of Jonah. Matthew twelve thirty nine. Jesus says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he says that again in Matthew 16, verse 4. He alludes to it in Mark chapter 8, verse 12. And he says it again in Luke chapter 11, verse 29. So what is this sign of Jonah? Well, we're talking about it. We're talking about it today in the reading from Jonah the readings for the third Sunday of Epiphany. So if you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to open them now to Jonah chapter 3, and I'll be going through verses 1 through 5. Um, and we'll be talking about this. We'll be talking about what happens here. This is the story of the conversion of the city of Nineveh, the great city. Uh, and it's a story of how uh, preaching and repentance uh, in response to preaching calls down God's mercy to save an entire city. So starting at verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim it, proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So one thing to point out here is that the word of the Lord is coming to Jonah a second time. Now, we didn't read the first two chapters of this story, but I think many of you will be familiar of it, familiar with it. It's a story, Jonah chapter 1 begins with God calling Jonah and saying, I've got a message for you to go and preach to the city of Nineveh. Uh, Jonah runs away, runs the absolute opposite direction, goes to Tyre, gets on a boat, uh, sails away, sails away, runs away from his mission, runs away from his calling, runs away from his vocation. And there's a lesson there for all of us, I think. Um, When God has put a call on our hearts, uh, do we trust in God to um, provide all that we need or do we... um, do we do we debate with God? Do we do we run away from the call? So I'll leave that for another sermon. I'll leave that for you to discern and think about. Uh, but anyway, Jonah goes and is swallowed by a whale. He spends three days in the whale, uh, the belly of the whale, and is eventually vomited back out on the shore. So that's a period of humiliation for Jonah. Clearly, it's a period of humbling for Jonah. It's, it also we could be read it as a time of discipleship for Jonah. Jonah faces. Uh, uh, a terror here, um, and in response, he's humbled and he's made ready during during that process uh, of being in the whale to uh, actually be obedient to the word of God. So we pick up the story now in, in chapter three, where the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Uh, Jonah has been rehabilitated. He's he's he's, uh, he's repented. He's ready to preach. And we can think of other characters in the in the gospel stories where that's true. Peter completely forfeits his right to lead the uh, lead the apostolic uh, band, and uh, he he denies knowing Jesus three times. Um, but he's rehabilitated in a beautiful chapter, uh, set of verses uh, at the end of uh, Jesus' minister, earthly ministry when he asks Peter several times if he loves him. Um, that's the story of Peter's recommissioning. Judas is another example of someone who does not, uh, who needs discipling, but um, he does not, he does not repent. He is not, his discipleship is not successful, shall we say. So no one has ever repented or come to um, salvation because of the preaching of, of Judas or the gospel of Judas, right? So it's important here that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time that symbolizes Jonah's readiness, his readiness to go and arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, a great city here, um, 
Think about that. It'd be like New York City and Chicago, Paris, London, any of the great cities we have today. And Nineveh was really the rival of any of those for ancient times. It was a, um, length and breadth were quite big. It was well defended, well fortified, lots of people in it. Um, what would it take to go in and proclaim a message of its destruction? Now, many of you will have seen people in New York City on the subway or on the streets walking around with placards who, who are saying just that, repent for for the you know the end is near or whatever it's almost become a, a trope or a joke and so um you know what's going on there um why would they you know why would Jonah feel that he could uh, oppose this great city and the answer has to be because of what i've just gone through the Jonah is able to oppose this great city he's you know the 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 wit and the will of one small man is able to go up against this great city because the word of the lord has come to him uh, and Jonah has been tested and tried and proven. Uh, but make no mistake, that's a big that's a big challenge to go to a great city like that and 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 to preach its its coming destruction, um, and that it and and its need for repentance. Um, and Jonah is uh, up to the task because of the training and the discipleship that he received at the hand of God in the belly of the whale. Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. There's that word again. Scripture is making double underscoring again that we understand that this is part of God's plan and purpose. And the thing about God's plan and purpose is that it cannot be uh, countermanded or contravened, right? Everything unfolds exactly as God would have it unfold according to his divine counsel. Um, when, you're, when, when you are fulfilling the word of God, uh, the will of God, you, you, nothing can oppose you, right? And... and um, Jesus talks a lot about this. Uh, it's the nature of faith to be aligned with the, with the will of God. Uh, and it's that faith that allows us to be like Jonah and go to great cities and oppose them and challenge them. Go to great churches and oppose them and challenge them. Go to great nations and oppose them and, and challenge them. Uh, great corporations and oppose them and challenge them. Now Nineveh, continuing verse 3, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he cried, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What a sermon right there, right? I mean, I'm already several minutes into this sermon, and Jonah's uh, putting me to shame. His sermon is is short and sweet. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Um, later on in, in verses that, were, that are not assigned for today, we see even the king comes down from his throne, puts on sackcloth and ashes and mourns. Uh, so he's really reached. He's reached, he's reached everybody. He's reached the uh, poor, the street sweeper, the, the garbage man, and he's, and he's spoken to the elites in their um, penthouse suites. And they've all, they've all repented. Uh, it's hard to believe, hard to imagine anyone who would command that kind of respect in this day and age. Who, who would speak to all measures and segments of society uh, that they would listen? Um, I don't think we've seen that and, uh, in recent time. And, uh, but, the, but the word of the Lord is capable of speaking to all of these people, wherever they are in life, whatever walk of life they are, uh, uh, elite uh, or, 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 um, or, or common um, proletariat, whatever you want to say, um, undesirables. The word of, uh, what was it that Hillary Clinton said, uh, deplorables, right? So Jonah is able to speak to all of them, and and they all repent, because they all need to repent. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Um, so there's, you know, there's no relying on social status or wealth or riches or position in society here. Everyone in this city needs to repent, and, 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 and remarkably, everyone does. And so we conclude with verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God repented of the evil which he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, the Bible here uses the word evil. God is not evil. God does not do evil. Nothing God does is evil, even when God uh, seems to do things to us, like uh, uh, require sacrifice or, or, or threaten to destroy whole cities or in the cases of Sodom and Gomorrah, actually destroy them. Nothing God does is evil. Uh, it's a turn of phrase that the scripture often uses. Um, uh, another way to put it would be God repented of the judgment, which he said he would do to them. Um, you know, it looks evil to us when a, when a, sin, when a city is destroyed. Uh, uh, that looks evil to us, but to God it is not evil. It's it's an act of judgment. Um, the the yeah, I won't get into it here, but the but the, the crimes and the iniquities of the city of Nineveh, like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, were 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 heaped were you know were, were were stunk to high heaven, shall we say? Um, so it was it was it, it would have been a uh, it would have been a right a, a just judgment to destroy that city and practically and possibly an act of mercy for the rest of the world to 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 get rid of a city like that. But how much better for it to convert, right? How much better for the city, a sin, the city of sin, to to turn towards God in righteousness, um, and that's that's the story of Jonah. His message is short and sweet. The preacher's message here: Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Is short and sweet. It doesn't say anything about mercy or repentance, does it? Um, but it's implied, and we can tell that from verse ten. Uh, God saw what they did, and they turned how they turned from their evil way, how they repented, and He has mercy. So, the story here is that judgment always implies the possibility of repentance and mercy. Um, we're we're taught to think of, as I said, judgment as a scary thing, and it is. Uh, we may even call it an evil thing. Um, again, not evil to God, but evil to us. But we shouldn't. Um, Anytime we are judged by God, anytime we're chastised by God, mercy, the opportunity for mercy and repentance is implied. God only chastises, he only, he only, pre- he only sends his prophets to preach repentance uh, or to preach judgment because he wants us to repent. As long as we are alive, as long as we live and move and breathe and draw our breath, we can repent, we can turn around, we can become, uh, re- recommit ourselves to faithfulness. It says that Jonah preached for forty days, and I want to I want to go into the, the reading here for first from uh, letter of Paul to the uh, to the Corinthians, the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Um, now, this was written at a different time in a different place, but the theme is the same. The theme is repentance. The theme is that the time is short. The, the theme is that we're living under a 40 days of judgment. We call it figurative 40 days of judgment now. And what would it be like? What would it be like, what would it be like if you were in Nineveh and the word was spreading throughout the quarters of the city? Because it said, you know, this one man is preaching, but everybody is probably talking about it. And, you know, your friend starts to repent and put on sackcloth. You're going to repent and put on sackcloth, you know. I'm reminded of how we all put on masks and, and arbitrarily stood six feet apart, uh, which uh, somehow we thought wouldn't um, wouldn't make us sick. Uh, excellent example of what happened during COVID, of of of, of the herd mentality of people following uh, following along, right? And 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 uh, unfortunately, in that case, I think uh, it was a lot of ineffective measures and hysteria that that held that had the day uh, carried the day. But in this case, uh, we see a positive example of the herd instinct and 
someplace uh, Jonah preaches and the word spreads throughout the city. So imagine now you're in one of the quarters of the city and, uh, and, and, and the message of Jonah has come. But then place yourself in, in the context of the Corinthian church. It's not the word of Jonah that's come. It's the word of Christ, the word of Jesus, preached by his apostles, preached by Paul. And, um, and, and you're aware that the world is under judgment. You're aware that the, this world, as Paul is saying, the form of this world is passing away. He says that in verse 31. How do you act? How do you live? How do you behave? That's what this, uh, that's what this passage is, 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 is aimed at. What does that repentance look like? We're told in, we're told in Jonah that it, it's uh, to humble ourselves, to put on sackcloth, to wear ashes. But here's Paul's take on what to do when, when you're living through that figurative 40 days of, 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 ju- of judgment and you're, and you're praying for God's mercy even as you're repenting from your sins. Paul says at verse 29, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29, I mean, brethren, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wise li- wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the form of this world is passing away. So I think that's Paul's message to his church in Corinth at the time of judgment, at a time of um, coming persecution for the church. Um, certainly in view could always be the end times when Christ returns, which, you know, we're told that we should always be prepared for. Uh, now, is this, is this, a, is this a, a commandment um, uh, not to uh, work on your marriage? You know, it says live, uh, those who have wives lives as, live, live as though they had none. No, uh, those who are mourn as though they are not mourning. No. Uh, all of these things are normal human activities. And Paul is writing an entire letter. This is the seventh chapter of a long letter that's talking about how to live as a Christian, uh, how wives and husbands should treat each other, how how households should be ordered, how the church should be ordered. And I don't think Paul would spend an entire letter uh, tending to the mundane details of church life and Christian family life if, uh, if, if that didn't matter, if that wasn't still important, and if there wasn't still opportunity for us to live meaningful lives as wives and husbands and children and 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 pastors and grandparents, and, and, that, and that if there still wasn't a time for mourning, Jesus himself mourned for his friend Lazarus, Lazarus, right? So Paul isn't saying that any of these things, and Paul is not preaching some weird aesthetic where you have to be celibate um, or, or, or uh, show no feeling or emotion. And unfortunately, people have taken it that way. The monkish tradition in the Roman church and Eastern Orthodoxy, um, you know, it, it tends to devalue the, this life, this material life, the here and the now, the, the, the goodness of the hearth and the home and family life and wives and children and, and, and even pets, right? I mean, it's, uh, we're not called to live on, on, on the top of mountains, or I should say very few of us are. We're not called to live in isolated cells away from the world, um, you know, uh, with knees scabbed because we're praying all the time in painful positions. No, Paul is not preaching in a, a bizarre uh, Eastern asceticism here. He's, he, he's, he's simply saying, don't be attached. Um, because when you're attached to all these things, that's when the opportunity for sin uh, uh, um, arises, right? We're told way back in Genesis that, that sin crouches at the door and we need to, have, we need to rule over it, right? So sin, sin is lurking behind all of these attachments, all of these daily interactions, uh, and we need to have mastery over them. And one way we can have mastery over them is to remember that the form of this world is passing away and that we need to always be um, f- uh, 
calling down God's mercy on our lives by through 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 daily repentance. You know, the Book of Common Prayer sets aside morning and evening prayer for each and every one of us. Uh, ideally, we'd be doing that every every day in our churches, morning and evening prayer. And and both of those services begin with lengthy lengthy uh, uh, confessions of sin, right and. Uh, some people say, "Well, I, I know I don't want uh, I don't want to be reminded I'm a sinner all the time." Well, if you don't want to be reminded you're a sinner all the time, then then really you probably can't, or you won't be ready to hear that you're a forgiven sinner all the time. You, the 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 the, the message of judgment, the message of uh, the act of repentance, always uh, assumes that God's mercy and and is readily available, uh, and His forgiveness is readily available. But but if you're not acknowledging that, then you're basically, uh, if you're not acknowledging your own sinfulness. Um, you're cutting yourself off from that mercy, uh, and you're inviting only judgment. So now we turn to Mark, uh, today's gospel reading, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, and it's quite a contrast here between what Jesus does here in calling the first disciples and Jonah, uh, a disciple, a prophet of, of, of olden times, uh, it says that, uh, verse 14, now after John was arrested, so the, we're switching, transitioning from the ministry of John the Baptist to the ministry of Jesus. Uh, John has kind of handed the baton off to Jesus here. Uh, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. All right, so already this message is a little bit more nuanced. Uh, it's more fully f- fleshed out. The gospel is more fleshed out than it was in the Old Testament. Jonah's message, Jonah's gospel, Jonah's proclamation, proclamation was one only of judgment. 40 days. All you've got is 40 days. He doesn't tell them to put on sackcloth and ashes and repent. They do it anyway. They do it because they, they have faith and they believe that if they do, God will have mercy on them. But here, the full-throated gospel is proclaimed. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So repent. There's a call to repentance here. Why? Because repentance calls down God's mercy. So now it's made explicit. Now we know. This is why we can read the story of Jonah in hindsight with, with a lot more hope. Uh, because even though it's a hopeful story and concludes with the conversion of the city, um, the veil has been removed, as it, as it were, right? I mean, in, in olden times, before the coming of Christ, men only hoped that they could be forgiven. Men only hoped that sin could be uh, propitiated and expiated through the sacrifice of animals uh, and all kinds of dark rituals and, and, and murmurings and, and, you know, concoctions done in secret. That's what all of paganism is, right? I mean, so worthless uh, ritual. But uh, here we have the hope, the bright light of the gospel saying that the kingdom of God is at hand, uh, which is a beautiful statement, uh, and we read many passages that describe what that kingdom is like, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of mercy, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of restoration, where there's no tears, where, there's, where, where loved ones are restored, uh, where, where, a, where a baby that lives 100 years is considered uh, to have been, you know, uh, died young. Um, so, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand, and, and, the, and the, the gateway to that kingdom is through repentance, repentance and faith, faith in the gospel, faith in the God, faith. Faith in the good news that Jesus and his disciples have come to preach. Now, verse 16, And passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will be make you become fishers of men. 
Um, you know, that's an, you know, that's an inclusive term. Men is an inclusive term. We've allowed that to become an exclusive term, but it was always an inclusive term, uh, to encompass the whole human race. We are a species, uh, known as man. And, uh, so that's an inclusive term, but I also want to focus on the fact that becoming fishers of men is a manly project. Um, it takes some courage and stamina and endurance to, to, uh, to be a fisher of men. It requires that you challenge the old ways. It requires that you go up to other men who may be stronger and bigger and more powerful than you and tell them that they're doing something wrong. Uh, Jonah was weak and he went up against a great city. These men that Jesus calls are fishermen. They're not Pharisees. They're not scribes. They're not the elite. They're not the educated. They don't live in, in, in uh, palaces. They, they work with their hands and, um, and, and, he, and, and, and they're men, manly men. And Jesus knows that he needs manly, he needs men to go and be fishers of men. Um, uh, they're going to have to face persecution. I mean, the whole experience of Jonah and the whale is an analogy for the persecution that any faithful minister of the gospel, any faithful Christian, anyone who seriously desires to be a fisher of men is going to have to face. Discipleship is painful. Discipleship uh, means earning your stripes. Discipleship um, has with it the, the concept of the rod and of being uh, punished and um, you know corrected and, and uh, until you get it right, right? Until you're tough enough to do the work until you're, you know, you're able to go out there and, uh, and, 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 and face the challenges of the world, to face the great cities and to face the great men and to say what you're doing is wrong and you need to repent and you need to come to Christ. The kingdom of God is at hand. If you don't heed this message, you will be judged. But if you repent, you will receive mercy. Go, go try that. Go, go tell your HR department or your boss that. Um, Say that, say that to, uh, to anybody of significance or importance. Preach that from most pulpits and see what happens. Um, but here's the difference. Uh, well, what we're going to learn here is that, uh, is that as... Uh, well, first I'll continue with the, with the story here. Uh, so he calls, uh, he calls the fishermen, um, and immediately at verse 18, they left their nets and followed him. Verse 19, and going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and, his, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So obviously what is wonderful here is their immediacy, their immediate willingness to follow Jesus, right? And I'm sure they've heard of him by this point. Uh, The word of John the Baptist has gone far and wide. Uh, John the Baptist's acknowledging of Jesus has probably spread, so they're probably excited to be uh, asked by the, the Messiah, the Christ, to follow him. Little do they know that, that they're walking right into the belly of the whale. I'll give them this, though. Unlike Jonah, who, whose response to the word of the Lord, to the call of God, is to run away, these men follow willingly. But as we see from the rest of the uh, gospel stories, they, they will face discipline. They will face uh, chastisement. They will face persecution. Jesus warns them about all of this. The legends and the stories about the um, apostles is that they all die, except for John, right? They're all martyred. Um, now, I think, however, that three years of discipleship with Jesus and then going through the experience of the crucifixion and resurrection, again, this is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the old, the old gospel and the new gospel. It's the same gospel, I want to stress that, but it's more fully developed uh, uh, in the New Testament and, and after Jesus. The difference is, is that we can hope, right? There's no hope in Jonah's preaching. The hope has to be supplied by the act of repentance by the people in Nineveh. But the, pre- the message itself is hopeless, right? I'm often accused of, of, of not preaching a very hopeful message, but I, I think that's because people only, it's so rare to hear any judgment in a sermon these days, and that's all the people focus on, and that's all they hear. 
But I'm always preaching the gospel of repentance as well. If you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner, if you repent, if you turn around, then grace will come. And I can say that with assurance because of what Christ did. He came and lived and died and was rose, and rose again. Jonah had no assurance of that. The people of Nineveh had no assurance of that, but they repented anyway. And here's the difference between you and I standing on the other side of the cross is that we can expect, we can expect to receive God's mercy and love and vindication and, and, and finally to receive resurrection bodies, right? The most that the people of, of Nineveh could expect would be temporal mercy, that their city would be spared and that they could go back to their daily lives, raise their children, take care of their livestock, go about, go about their business but then go go off to their eventually go off to their graves and die and eventually Nineveh would become, become corrupt again and the cycle would repeat itself right I mean paganism the pagan view of history is just one of repeated cycles uh, of, of uh, uh, arising and falling ebbing and flowing right but, but but Christian history the understanding of Christian history is linear from from one moment in time the creation to the uh, recreation and so that's the difference between us and Jonah that's between the difference between the disciples here and Jonah as well uh, eventually they will come to experience the resurrection which becomes part of the gospel message that that we preach today the uh, the hope of resurrection the 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 hope of eternal uh, life versus uh, a temporal mercy, a temporal life. So that's the message for the third Sunday after the Epiphany, and um, I encourage you to to think about ways in which you can become fishers of men um, and, and whatever your rank or station in, in life, and I pray that you would have the courage, uh, and uh, even if you're not a man, I pray that you would have the, the manly courage to go out there and challenge Challenge uh, those people who need to be challenged, uh, particularly in places of power, particularly in uh, in the church, uh, where where they have set up shop and um, are not are, are 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 keeping the gospel, the full gospel, from being heard and proclaimed uh, uh, clearly. Uh, that's my prayer for you this week. God bless.